there's a that's good singing for a bunch of Yankees like you all. Amen. Y you know, Yankees can't sing, but y'all are doing a pretty good job of it. And uh, I sometimes just stand there and I just think, Lord, what do you think about all this singing coming from just a, a few people? And I think He likes it. Amen. I really do. Amen. Sounds good. Well, take your Bible, go back to the book of Numbers. I'd like to pick up where we ended up this morning, Numbers chapter 18. <clears throat> we began this morning dealing with the details of life and taking this, what some would, people would say it's obscure, and it's obscure pa uh, passage where it kind of gears down and gets into the details and the minutiae of the Levitical priesthood, and we're not here to put you back under an Old Testament law, amen? What we're looking to do is, you know what, the book that's in your lap is life. Those words are life. And uh, I believe 100%, the Bible says that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for instruction or for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. So every time you open that Bible, you should be able to get something out of it that applies to your life, whether you're in the book of Leviticus or Numbers or anything, amen? Now listen, all that, all reading is not easy reading. Sometimes it's tough plowing. Would you agree with me tonight? <clears throat> Here in Numbers chapter 18, I want to pick up where we left off, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 one more time. The Bible says here, uh, go ahead and stand if you would, please, if you'd like to, Numbers chapter 18. The uh, Bible says, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined unto thee, and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness, and they shall keep thy charge. And the charge of all the tabernacle, only they shall not come nigh the vessel of the sanctuary, and the altar that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee, and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary, and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Dad, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching tonight? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's good to read the scripture. It's good to read it out loud. Uh, it's good to work on pronunciation. It's good to read what we would consider obscure passages that, quite frankly, don't mean a hill of beans. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, every passage in the Bible is important. That passage that you and I just read is just as important as, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But since we're Americans, we think that everything in this Bible should be about us, and guess what? It's all about him and not about us. But there's some great learning. We said this morning 
uh, we, uh, we went through this, and we, so we showed you from the passage that we know that a Christian is going to have to, number one, bear some things. Number two, a Christian should join up with some things right in the text there. And I want to give you number three here. I want you to see here that a Christian is going to have to keep some things. Keep some things. We're not talking about keep the law, but we're just giving you some thoughts about the details of life. And if you look here in uh, uh, chapter 18, verses 3 to 5, I want you to notice the wording. And they shall keep thy charge. You see that? And verse 5, and ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary. As I was going through the passage here, the Lord began to show me some things and began to just kind of enlighten me about some things in the Christian life that you and I need to keep. Can I give you the first one that come to my mind while I was going through this passage? First of all, you ought to keep His Word. Amen. Take your Bible for a second and go to 1 John chapter 2. You and I ought to keep this book. Now, a lot of Christians today, they don't have a Bible. They have an opinion. They have a favorite speaker. They have a favorite preacher. They have a favorite YouTube channel. And they're, hooked, they're uh, joined at the hip with social media. But you have a book. And we spoke this morning and we preached last week about final authority. And God chose Aaron to be that final authority for the high priest for Israel. And he's given us a written word, final authority here. But look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not what I wanted, was it? 1 John 2.15. It's a great verse. It sure is a great verse, but that's not the one I wanted. Uh, is it 5.2? Maybe it's 5.2. That's what it is. 5.5.2. I want the one that says keep his word, but that's a good one. That'll fit too. 5.2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his what? All right, you're going to have to learn to keep his word. There's, a, there's, a, there's one right there, right in the, the book of John, that says keep his word. And that's the one I missed, and I didn't type it up, and that's my fault, and I apologize. But there are some things in the Christian life you need to keep. His book's one of them. His word's one of them. There's a lot of things you can do without, but you can't do without this book. You see what I mean? You've got to have this book. If you don't have his word, you've got nothing. Because the only thing that goes and stands the test of time, the Bible says, forever o, Lord, forever, o Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Only thing that goes from the beginning of time to the end of time is Jesus Christ and his word. That's why it's so important for you to have. It's important for you. You know what you should do with it? You should take that book. It is 2.5. So I put a 15. Go to 1 John 2.5. Thank you, Miss Taylor. Appreciate that. The, this, uh, that's one five. Here we go. But whoso keepeth his word. You see that? Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. So you have to keep his word. Why don't you take your Bible at this point and go to Psalm 119. When it comes to keeping his word, how in the world can I keep his word? What do you mean I'm not supposed to lose it? I don't know. I walk around the church house sometime and I see Bible sitting in the pew. <laughs> uh, you probably ought to keep it a little closer than in the church house. Amen. But in Psalm 119, I'm going to show you just a couple applications of how you can keep his word. How you can keep his word. Psalm 119, look at verse uh, 130. Bible says in Psalm 119, 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. So you know how you're supposed to keep it? You're supposed to keep it in front of your eyes. Right? You're supposed to read it. The entrance of thy words giveth light. Keep it in front of your eyes. Not only in your eyes, but go over to Joshua chapter 1. 
You say, I just got, that's okay, write it down. We got to move. I got a lot to go. Joshua chapter 1, you keep it in front of your eyes. If you have a Bible today, then you ought to read it. Amen. You say, well, I'm too busy. You're not too busy to read the Bible. You read everything else in the world. You thumb through your phone. You send texts. You send emails. God sent you 66 book of texts. About time you start reading it. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And you are, so praise the Lord. I'm not getting after you. I'm just preaching. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy... That's it. You keep it in your mouth. The devil tempts a lot of Christians to put a lot of things in their mouth, but if you got that book in your mouth, it's a little bit better, ain't it? You keep it in front of your eyes and you keep it in your mouth. How's that? Well, there's a couple ways you can do that, but you could read it out loud. You could speak it. You could tell someone about the Lord and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You could speak it to your children. You could speak it to your grandchildren, right? Not only that, but look at Psalm 78. You keep it in front of your eyes. You keep it in your mouth. Psalm 78.1. Now, that's a very important book, and I believe you know that. Psalm 78.1. I've done the best that I know how to do uh, of lifting this book up higher than me, higher than my family, higher than a church building, higher than anything else. And you say, what's it brought? A lot of grief, but it's the right kind of grief. Look at Psalm 78.1. 78.1, the Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So you see it? You keep it in front of your eyes, you keep it in your mouth, and you put it in your ears. Right? You can't always read it, can you? Well, then put scorby on. Well, you know, I just got a lot of interest. Great, put the Bible on and let that thing read and play. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15, Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken you. I tell you what, uh, I remember the ice cream company, and I've said this before, uh, there was a time, man, I couldn't get enough of that book, and don't, don't act like I don't, can't get enough of it now, but when it was really just, I just had to have it, had to have it, and I'd listen to that Bible straight through once a month. I didn't say I read through once a month. I said I listened to it. And, you know, when you're listening to it, sometimes you're getting interrupted by this or that and the other, but it's on. Like I was you know, going all the time. Amen. So you keep it in your eyes, you keep it in front of your eyes, you keep it in your mouth, keep it in your ears. You know, you got to keep some things. In this passage, I see that Aaron and his sons had to keep the charge of the sanctuary. You and I have got to keep some things as Christians. These are intricate details. These are minute details in the Christian life. And many times, we just stop considering it. Well, you've got to learn to keep the word. How about this? 1 Timothy 6.20. I want you to see this. You and I as Christians, we've got to learn to Keep that which is committed to thy trust. You know, the Lord's entrusted you with some things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. You've got to learn to keep the things that have been given to you by the Lord. A lot of Christians, they, uh, they, they don't take too kindly to what the Lord gives them. They just kind of toss it to the wayside. You've got to keep His word, and you've got to learn to keep that which is committed to your trust. 1 Timothy 6, 20. Bible says here in verse 20, he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings, that's probably the television and everything that goes with it, and oppositions of science falsely so-called, 
Verse 21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith, grace be with thee, amen. You're going to have to learn to keep that which is committed to your trust. And you know what Paul is talking about here in the passage? Paul had taught him a certain, a lot of things. He's talking about the teaching that he had given Timothy. And he said, keep that which is given to thy trust. You know what, teaching? Yeah, how in the world do you keep teaching? Well, how about Jeremiah 23, 18? You can keep it by marking the book. Jeremiah 23, 18 says, Who hath marked his word? Now listen, just because you mark your Bible doesn't mean you know anything. Sometimes it looks like in your Bible that a Crayola factory blew up on a page. Amen? That don't mean nothing. It just meant you took some notes, right? <laughs> you know, one fellow said this, uh, of someone who's got a Bible that's falling apart is usually held by someone who's not. Well, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's your four-year-old and they don't know how to treat it. Amen? <laughs> But if you have a Bible like Grandma's Bible or Mama's Bible like that and all marked to pieces and you see all the oil stains from the fingers and you see these weird smudges and you find out later those are tears. But you can keep what you've been taught by marking it up. When you read your Bible, do you mark the passages that mean something to you? When you have it taught to you in Sunday school, do you mark the passages that mean something to you? You can uh, keep it by marking it. How about this? You can keep it by memorizing it, can't you? The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 111, he says, uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You can keep what you've been taught by memorizing it. You've been taught not to sin, haven't you, child of God? Then memorize the book. It'll help you with sin. You can keep it by marking it. You can keep it by memorizing. Look at Psalm 119, verse uh, 15. Psalm 119, verse 15, you can keep it by meditating on it. Psalm 119, I mean, just read it and think about it. Amen? You ever have trouble with your thinking? <laughs> One idiot from, Hollywood, uh, from Nashville said, I admit I've got a thinking problem. Well, that's the truth with Christians. That's where the devil meets you. The battlefield is your mind. You know what's got you tore up right now for the most part? You're worrying about things that haven't even happened yet. You just think it's going to happen. And you just know within a week that you're going to be like six feet under. And if it, that were true, man, you ought to be shouting and rejoicing. <laughs> uh, Psalm 1, amen. I was so tied to this world. You read Paul, he was like, I'm ready to go. I mean, he, he made a trip up to the, uh, the third heaven, and I think he was a suicidal maniac trying to get out of there ever since. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. You know, I think sometimes we don't respect what God uh, says and what he's written. We just don't think about it enough. We're thinking about paying the car bill and the house bill and thinking about what we've got to do today instead of taking a passage or one, maybe just one verse in the Bible. How about this one? Lo, I go to prepare a place for thee. Just think about heaven all day long. And boss starts snarling up at you, and the wife gets cross at you, and husband jumps your stuff, you know, and you're like, hey, one day I go to prepare a place for you. Amen. Be all right, won't it? Not too practical today, but you can keep it by marking it, memorizing it, meditating upon it, and that whole thing about teaching. Teach and keep that which is committed to our trust. You know, another thing has been committed to your trust? Look at Titus chapter 1. Preaching has been committed to your trust. You ever stop and think of how much preaching some of you have sat under? Paul said, keep that which is committed to thy trust. A lot of Christians, they take preaching like a buffet. Amen? 
Now, sometimes you're going to have to treat it like a buffet, and it goes in one ear and out the other. Amen? But all the stuff that glorifies God and is sound doctrine, you need to learn to do something with it. A sponge can only take on so much, and then the Lord has to come out every once in a while and wring you out. That's why sometimes when you hear preaching, you're like, why? You're just full. God's got to come along beside you and wring you out, don't he? And then every once in a while you come to the church and say, man, well, that was good. And I just couldn't get enough of it. But sometimes you just slap full. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 3. Some preaching has been committed to your trust. You ever stop and think about the importance of preaching in the life of the believer? Preaching. That's a weird thing. The closer we get to going out of here, leaving out of here and going home, I'm talking about going home to heaven, you're going to see preaching get real cold, real cold. You're going to see preaching become more and more professionalized and more cranked out. Titus chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. You see that? You've got to learn to keep that which is committed to thy trust, and you've been committed with some preaching. Now, this thing, the whole thing about preaching, you know what it's designed to do? It's designed to prick you. Some people think uh, preaching is designed to kiss you. No, if you're going to get kissed, then you, but that's not preaching. Preaching is designed to prick you. Look at Acts chapter 9. I'm telling you. Preaching has never been designed to kiss you. Maybe comfort you sometimes, but not kiss you. If you come to church thinking, I just can't wait to get kissed by the preacher, we got to talk. <laughs> Amen? Because that ain't going to happen. One feller said, preaching is dying to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. <laughs> All right, verse 35. No, that's not what we want. We want, uh, yeah, eight, Acts 8.35. 8.35. Now look at this. Well, that ain't any good tonight. Get your stuff together, John. 9-5. Nine, 9-5. I can't read my own notes. <clears throat> That's it. That's what we want. That's talking about Paul on the road to Damascus, and he gets unhorsed or unmuled, and he's on the ground. Look what it says. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the what? You know who's talking? The Word. And when Jesus speaks, it's the Word. In the beginning was the Word, in the, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking. You know what that book's designed to do? Through preaching, to prick you, to prod you, to pain you. All right, not only that, but that uh, book is designed uh, never, never, to pacify you. Look at Galatians chapter 1. It's designed to prick you and never pacify you. Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. Now some people's idea of preaching is, uh, well, it's more akin to like the TBN network and the TCT network, and I know you don't expect that when you come here, but you need to be reminded of every once in a while so you have the right estimation of it. Look at this. He says in chapter 1, verse, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. When man gets up and speaks and it's after man, you know what happens? He pacifies the crowd. He pacifies the old so they get a bigger offering. He pacifies the women so they don't revolt. Amen? 
But when you preach what needs to be preached, it'll prick you, it'll pain you, it'll prod you, and it'll never pacify you. I'll give you one more. Now go to Acts chapter 8. This is the one we wanted. Preaching is designed to point you to Jesus Christ. Not a political platform, not my opinions, not my preferences, but preaching is always designed to point you to Jesus Christ. And a man that doesn't have Jesus Christ is in a pitiful place to be. Look at 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him who? Jesus. Preaching always points to Jesus Christ. Always points to Jesus Christ. So you're supposed to keep some things. You're supposed to keep that which is committed to thy trust like teaching, sound Bible teaching, sound doctrine, preaching. And you know what? You're supposed to keep, uh, how about, uh, <clears throat> there's, a, there, there's a, a ministry that you've been given. A ministry that you've been given. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You keep the teaching, you keep the preaching, and you keep the ministering. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a lot of turning, but Lord, uh, this is for the, the evening crowd that's used to turning their Bible. 2 Corinthians 5. The more you turn those blessed pages, the more you love the rock of ages. I've gone through periods of time in my life, bro, uh, brothers and sisters, where I've uh, done the best I knew how, but I wasn't turning a lot of pages, and then someone will... Um, asked me to do something for him and uh, check this out and do this uh, perusing of, of, of something. I'll start turning the pages and checking reference. I'm telling you, I'll light up like 440. I'm telling you, that book's life. That book's light. That book's power. And just some of y'all need to get plugged into it. Just plug yourself in. You say, well, what do I do with it? Well, you just keep going. <laughs> just plug yourself in. But look at here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 19. 519, uh, come up to verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, I'm just a church attender. No, you got a ministry. That's to reconcile others to, Jesus, uh, to God by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19, to wit, that means to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So you need to keep that which is committed to thy trust, the ministry that God gave you. And you know that minister in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, he's supposed to be faithful, and so are you. I'm supposed to be a faithful minister. You're supposed to be a faithful minister. A minister, you know what a minister, that word simply means chief servant. Chief servant. And you should be a minister of Jesus Christ, not popular opinion. Amen. You serve Jesus Christ. You're the chief servant, and you've been given authority by Jesus Christ himself to take care of heavenly business, reconciling the, word, the world unto God. <clears throat> All right. Now, last but not least, uh, you keep uh, the word. You keep which is committed to thy trust. And finally, you need to learn to keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Just some things you need to keep. Look, there's plenty in the Christian life we need to get rid of. Amen. We could preach a month of Sundays on stuff, you know, taking out the trash in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4, amen? That's a great message. You pull that thing out once every 12 months, you're good. That thing hits every single time. Time to take out the trash. Who doesn't have trash that needs to be taken care of? But listen, instead of gutting everything every time, you just need to learn to keep the right things. And you need to learn to keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm saying there are some things that you and I need to keep. 
The business models of today is we've got to start from scratch every single time. I don't believe that in the Christian life. You need to learn to build off of what God gives you and to begin to grow, keep what works, and pitch the rest. <clears throat> I worked for an ice room company for a long time, and it seemed like every time they got a new a vice president or president, they came in and had to rebrand everything. And they kept rebranding and rebranding and rebranding. We were bright yellow, and then we were bright blue, and then we were bright red, and now they're back to yellow. They can't make up their mind what they're going to do. Well, let me tell you what, you're a Christian 24-7. You don't, you don't blow everything out because you mess it up sometime. You just kick out the junk and you keep what you're doing right. Now, in Philippians 4, 7, the Bible says this, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. All right? Now, listen, when it comes to your heart, how are you going to keep it? Well, you've got to be diligent with it. That's what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 4, 23 it says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Say, so what does that mean? You can't let your heart get away from you. You know how many times your heart got away from you this week? And, of course, we know the verse, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the worst thing about that verse is when I realize my own heart's deceived me. I say that verse all the time, like, yeah, you better listen here. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's a great verse. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my, my heart deceived me. Here we go again. When it comes to your heart, you're going to have to be diligent. You can't let it get away. You can't, you can't just hand your heart to everybody. You've got to keep it with diligence, the Bible. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Let the Bible speak for you. You've got to be diligent when it comes to your heart. That's why you get in a relationship with somebody. You can't just say, oh, here's my heart. Why? It'll get broken. Amen. It'll get broken. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Bible says here, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You want to have a successful Christian life? Learn to, learn to keep your heart with diligence. You don't let it out. You be careful with your heart. You don't let it deceive you. You don't let it get away from you. You don't let your heart get overcharged with certain things. You get overcharged with passions. Uh, you learn to be moderate with your heart. Amen? You learn to be temperate. You, be, you, know, you, don't, you don't go hog wild one way. You don't go hog wild the other way. You just stay right in the middle. Amen? Cool head, warm heart. All right, so when it comes to your heart, you have to be diligent with it. You can't let it get away from you. You can't let it deceive you. You can't let your mind evil. And when it comes to your mind, go back to Philippians 4. Everyone's got trouble with their mind. It's a full circle on this thing. The battle's going to be in your mind this week. And since there's such a battle, I'm thankful that the Lord gave Paul, uh, through the Holy Spirit, exactly what you and I are to think on. Here's the thinking problem solved, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You ought to write that verse down on a 3 by 5 card and think about that thing for about a month. And next time your mind starts floating off into outer space, and it's the devil's domain in outer space, in case you didn't know, 
You just need to reel yourself back in and like, is what I'm thinking about true? Is it honest? Well, I don't know. Well, then stop thinking about it. And keep your hearts and minds. How are you going to keep your minds? Through Christ Jesus. How is that done? By thinking about the right things. You can't go out here and, you know, base your entire week on whether or not you're, uh, you know, in a, you know uh, you're right with your boss. You got to have a right relationship with your mind. You think on the right things. And uh, so when it comes to that, you have to learn how to think. And you know, a lot of Christians just don't know how to think. A lot of Christians let the devil get between them and their friends. Wow, that went over like a ham at a Jewish wedding. <laughs> but that's the truth. Well, you got to keep some things. But let me, uh, let me give you this one. you got to bear some things, join up with some things, keep some things. And what I see in verses 9 and 19, you got to learn to offer some things. you got to learn to offer some things. you got to learn to offer some things. Without reading that entire text, which uh, would be good for our uh, reading, but I won't do it, I want you to notice that that word offering or offer is found nine times between verses 8 to verse 19. In verse 8, offering is mentioned one time. In verse 9, offering is mentioned three times. In verse 11, offering is mentioned two times. In verse 12, offering is mentioned one time. And offer is mentioned one time. Would you say that the Lord is interesting in someone giving him an offering? Nine times. I would say it's pretty important. You say, why you say that? Well, let's, let's continue down this little uh, uh, this trail here. Notice the word that is used to describe its contents. The contents of this offering in verse 12. Numbers 18, verse 12. When it comes to this offering, what should it be? Verse 12 says what? All the best. You notice that? All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine, so forth and so on. I want, you, I want you to see that. When it comes to this thing about giving an offering, you know what the Lord wants? He wants the best. You say, preacher, this is Old Testament law. You law dog, you... No, I'm not taking... I'm just showing you some practical stuff from the book of Numbers. I want you to notice the word that describes its content. It's the best. Notice verse 13, first ripe. Verse 15, first born. Also in verse 15, firstling. And then you get down to verse 17, it's firstling twice. You think the Lord wants the best? I suppose he wants what's first, too. Reminds me of a verse in the book of Matthew, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be at You see the application? God wants what's best. He deserves what's best, and he wants to be first. But that's one of the most difficult things you and I as a Christian will face because we think we deserve the best, and we want to be first. Me first, you later, or never. <laughs> that's how we think. We're Americans, amen? Uh, and, uh, but I want you to notice not only the word that describes its quant contents, but notice here the word that describes its quantity. In verse 21, you see a tenth. In verse 24, you see the word tithes. In verse 26, you see both words, tenth and tithe. And finally, in verse 28, you see the word tithes appear again. I think we get the idea that means a percent. And while you and I are not under the law, amen, <laughs> mandating you tithe under penalty of death, because if you didn't tithe under the law, you were dead meat. 
if they found out. And I'm thankful we're not under the law. Amen. But can I tell you, can I just give you uh, what many of you already know real quick. I'll look at Genesis 28. A lot of things we're going over tonight, but I think it's important that you get this. Genesis 28. If I'm going to feed the flock, then we're going to have to throw it out there. And we used to have chickens over on Remford Road, and I used to help uh, my sisters uh, feed the chickens. Not as much because I didn't want to be in the coop with the chicken poop. But anyways, uh, well, you scatter feed. Uh, usually you just poured it in this long trough, but every once in a while I'd grab some and scatter it. And I'm trying to scatter as much feed as possible. Not that y'all are a bunch of chickens, but hey, it worked. Amen. <laughs> Genesis 28:22. I want you to see this. You're in a position, you're in a dispensation in your Bible that is before the law. Does that make sense? The law is not given till when? Exodus chapter 20 under Moses. So what you are is you're, you're in a dispensation that is literally under grace. Before the law, and lo and behold, you have Jacob. And what is Jacob doing? Well, 28, 22. And notice he says, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So what you have is Jacob, of course. He's a man under grace before the law of Moses. And he's giving a tenth. And I'll take your Bible, go backwards, a uh, left turn to Genesis chapter 14. Here's, here's Abraham. Abraham. Je Genesis chapter 14. Here's another man who is uh, in a dispensation before the law of Moses. 14.20. Genesis 14.20. There are some offerings you and I should give. The Bible says, uh, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Abraham tithed before the law to Melchizedek, and the priest of Salem there. And, of course, we're in Numbers chapter 18, and that's after the law has been instituted, and guess what they're doing? They're giving tithes, right? So I say this, the least any man ought to do when it comes to his giving, the very least is 10%. Amen? You're not mandated. But if a man under grace before the law can give tithes, and a man under the law can give 10%, then I'm free. I should be able to give at least 10% or more. And, of course, we're assuming, aren't we? We're assuming that all God wants is your money. But you know what? He doesn't. He wants a whole lot more than your money. He don't need your money. When that one song says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Back in the 80s, they come up with that thing. Was it Wendy's Where's the Beef or something like that? They're on a thousand hills is where they're at. <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. But we're assuming that you think God just wants your money. But you know what? In Proverbs chapter 23, 26, you know what God wants? He wants your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 26, give me thine heart. Are you willing to give your heart to Jesus Christ tonight? If you give your heart to Jesus Christ, I don't suppose that maybe giving 10% would be a big deal. Now, we don't beat you up about giving around here. And you know how you know I don't? Because I put a stinking box in the back there, and I went against all the Baptist traditions. And there it is. If you want it, if you want to do something, hit that thing on the way up. Well, do more than hit it. You know, throw it in the slot there. Amen. But you know, hit that thing on the way out. Why? Because if God's going to make this thing run, it's going to be because he tells you to give. Not because I'm going to beat you up about giving. If you don't want to give, if you not want to give cheerfully, then please don't give. But if you have an extra million and you can shout about it, throw it in there. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate someone laughing. 
trying to work out my jokes, but he wants his, your heart. You know what also he wants? He not only wants your heart, he wants you to offer your body. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He not only wants your heart, but he wants your body. Not only that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 20, you know what he wants? He wants your heart, he wants your body, then he wants your spirit. Why? Because your body and your spirit belong to God. Say, what does that mean? That means my attitude. That means my, the way I react. He wants your spirit. He wants whatever comes out of your mouth and the way that you're feeling and the way that you're acting, all that emotion. He wants your spirit, not just your heart, not just your body, your spirit. You know what he wants? Look at Philippians 1.20. He wants your life. He wants the whole thing. And let me tell you what, a man has yet to find out what Jesus Christ can do with the life given to him. Philippians chapter 1. Now Paul is about as close as we'll probably ever see. A man totally surrendered and sold out to Jesus Christ, and we see the power that God gave Paul. But I want you to notice here in Philippians chapter 1 verse 20, it's evident that Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ in its entirety once he got a hold of him. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. The Lord wants your life, and there are some things that you and I need to offer. It's not just about money. How about time? How about talent? Do you have time to spend with somebody? Do you have the talent to do something for somebody that they don't know how to do? Now listen, make sure you pick your own charities, amen? Don't let the brethren pick them for you. You'll be broke. But can you do something that can save somebody some money? Can you do something that will just uh, help alleviate the pain that somebody has? Pain of mind, pain of finance, pain of family, <laughs> and all the rest? Well, there are some things that need to be offered. And there's bear some things, join up with some things, keep some things, offer some things, and finally, we're on the home stretch here. I want you to see there's some things. You'll be rewarded for some things. Look at Numbers chapter 18. As I was trying to find a place to bring the, the, the brakes in on this thing, I'm like, Lord, uh, it just seems like, uh, he's like, yeah, so many details, so many details in the Christian life. And I don't think it's a coincidental, uh, coincidental how the Lord uh, closes this chapter out, even though it's Old Testament. It's a living book. No coincidence at all. I want you to look at this, and the Bible says in verse 31, and ye shall eat it in every place, ye and your households, for it is your reward for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And all of a sudden I saw it. And it's staring at me right in the face. It is your reward for your service. You see it? We're taking spiritual applications here, but notice this. By no coincidence at all, the reward for Christian service comes at the end, doesn't it? All right, rewarded, for it is your reward for your service. And then after telling Aaron the high priest that they would have no earthly inheritance, look at verse 20. This is good. <laughs> verse 20, he tells Aaron, no earthly inheritance. That's his words, isn't it? And then again in 23, he says, no inheritance. And then again in 24, no inheritance. Three times in the last third of the chapter, it should be coming crystal clear to the Christian that what? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You see the details? 
Rewards come at the end. They don't come now. They come at the end of this thing called life. And your reward is never here, even though the Lord will lay it on you every once in a while, won't he? I mean, every once in a while, the Lord will lay it on you here, but your rewards are up there. And as one old timer said, the retirement plan for the Christian is out of this world. And my reason, my reward, you know what it is? Well, I think you know it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, my reward up there is gold, silver, precious stones. As you get into the Pauline epistles, you find out that there's crowns to be won up there. Gold is deity. That's anything I say and praise the Lord for. That's laid up as gold. I believe every time you shout for service uh, in English, amen, every time you say amen, every time you lift up your voice and uh, sing your guts out, I mean, like y'all were doing tonight, you were singing. Down south, they would say you were singing, but you were singing tonight, amen? And it sounded good. I believe the Lord takes note. I believe the Lord's up there going, hmm, 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 that's good. Why? Because you're singing about him. And then, of course, silver is redemption in the Bible. I believe every time you pass out a tract, you lay up silver. Every time you try to win someone to Jesus Christ, you're passing out silver. You're just, every time you pass out that tract, every time you leave that tract at that place you eat, even McDonald's, amen, I believe the Lord's up there going, cha-ching. There it goes, load up the silver. And let's just say all you ever did in your life is pass out three tracks a day. That'd be over a 1,000 tracks a year. When you get there, there'd be a dump truck load of silver waiting for you. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? You say, oh, I don't believe that. It shows. <laughs> Amen. That's why we haven't had to make too many track orders. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm being serious. That track back there is full of redemption, telling people how to be saved and how people to trust. And you say, well, it don't work. It's because you ain't passing them out that it don't work. But that silver back there, and finally, you know, the precious stones. The Bible talks about precious stones as being people and people that you win to Jesus Christ. And, of course, crowns. There's five crowns. We won't go into them. But this is my last thing about the reward. My reward has to be guarded. My reward has to be guarded. Uh, to give you two passages of Scripture, and we'll be done tonight. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now, look, there are some rewards to be had for the Christian, but you're going to have to learn to guard them. Now, listen, when you're saved, you're saved. Amen? You cannot lose your salvation, but hear me when I say this. You can lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and you better watch it. 2.18. 2.18. Now, notice this. The Bible says, let no man beguile you. That means trick you. Let no man beguile you of your reward. What are you saying? There are some tricksters out there that are going to snooker you out of your reward. Now, how are you going to do it? Here's how. The value of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which you have not seen, like the flat earth idiots. Amen and amen. Amen. Like calling some Catholic priest your father when he's not your father. And the Bible told you in Matthew 23, call no man your father, but that which is in heaven. You see what I mean? You want to go ahead and uh, worship angels? You're going to lose all your stinking rewards. Don't do it. Amen. Not only that, look at it, 2 John chapter 1. There's more to be said, but I want to close this thing down. 2 John, there's only one chapter. Look at this. You've got to be careful with your rewards. You have to be vigilant. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 2 John verse 8, lose, uh, he says, uh, 
Uh, he says, look to yourselves. Now, that will preach a month right there, won't it? Look to who? Amen. Husbands and wives, <laughs> look to yourselves. <laughs> that, we lose, uh, that, we, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. That shows me right there that many Christians right now have laid up many rewards, all right? And because they did something stupid, they're going to lose those rewards. And I don't want that to happen to you. I'd like to read this thing as we close here, this thing about rewards. I don't know who wrote this thing, but, it, man, it sure, hits a, it sure hits it out of the park. This fellow, he wrote this. He says, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life, as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will, shall I see great grief in my Savior's eyes, Grief, though he loves me still. Oh, he'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. There's some rewards to be had, but you're going to have to watch it that you don't lose them. Why don't you stand? Details in the Christian life found in number.